0: The Slaughter and May podcast. Hello and welcome to this Slaughter and May podcast. I'm Graham Rounce and I'm delighted to be joined by David Kozak, Head of Real Estate, Construction and Engineering Law at Acado. David is also Chairman of the British Retail Consortium's Property Committee. We're joined by John Nevin, one of the partners in our real estate group. John has worked with David on a number of matters, including helping with the expansion of Acado's distribution portfolio. Following on from our look at trends in the office market, we're going to consider the retail sector. David, starting with you first, if I may, thank you very much for taking the time to join us. Are you able to summarise the immediate impact of lockdown on the retail sector?
1: Indeed. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. There are two parts to this answer there's the physical impact, and then there's the financial impact. So let's look at the physical side first. We saw enforced closure of stores, staff being furloughed, and almost empty high streets and shopping centres. Then, after many weeks, we've witnessed a gradual reopening of stores, but that look different. We've seen the introduction of plexiglass screens at the tills, social distance marking on the floor, uh, restricted occupancy levels, the enforced wearing of masks, and hand gel stations being uh, located at strategic locations. Now, on the financial side, The BRC estimates that lost turnover totals around £1.6 billion during lockdown. Footfall is currently around 50% of pre-COVID levels and footwear and fashion have been especially badly hit. And last but certainly not least is that retailers have found themselves in difficult situations when it comes to the payment of rent, insurance and service charges.
0: Thank you, David. Following on from that... Has online shopping in any way compensated for the loss of physical sales?
1: It has to an extent, Graham. Online non-food sales rose from around 30 to 40% and are staying at that level. So it certainly accelerated the trend towards more online purchases, even as shops have reopened. And on the food side, the market grew incredibly strongly as we witnessed significant migration to online shopping. And what we can extrapolate from this now is that for some retailers their online offering has been a lifeline.
0: Thank you. Now, turning to John, if I may, has the government's code and the measures to prevent enforcement action against tenants been effective?
2: Thank you, Graham. Um, I think as far as the code is concerned, uh, as we all know, that's a voluntary code. And so it's debatable about the extent to which both landlords and tenants have adhered to that, or that we could point to the code as being responsible for uh, tenant or landlord behaviour in this area. But certainly the area that has been enormously um, effective is the legislation that the government has brought in. In in particular, I would point out the suspension of the landlord's rights, the traditional armoury of the landlord's rights being the right to forfeit a lease where a tenant doesn't pay its rents. And indeed, the right for a landlord to serve a winding up petition on tenants where they uh, have accrued debts which are remain unpaid, and so it 's undeniable that the the purpose of this legislation was to enable businesses to continue in op- in operation, and I would say that it has been effective
1: I think can I possibly add something to that? I think the, the BRC members research has a consistent figure of around thirty percent of landlords. Um, not engaging or or not doing so in the positive way that the government would have expected. And and that really hasn't shifted since the introduction of the code. And I think, although certainly there have been positive steps, I think the moratorium should be extended. And I think it would be unfair to remove it before Christmas or the New Year sales because that's the retail's opportunity to, to try and recover some ground, which means that probably the March quarter day would, would argue be a fair time to 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 lift the moratorium.
2: Yeah. I mean I think I think I think Graham it's worth adding to that, that that you know we have seen somewhat of a theme between certainly in our experience the smaller tenants tending to be the ones who are engaging with landlords and the larger businesses, uh, you know, sometimes private equity owned, the ones that are perceived to be with deep pockets being less inclined to engage with landlords and we've seen some you know well-publicized cases there involving hotel chains etc where we will undoubtedly see see some significant court action and, and you know I certainly agree that those that can pay should pay but effectively these government measures you know as we know do not discriminate between the, the perceived rich tenants out there uh, the ones with, with the asset base that, that are able to continue paying rents and those whose cash flows simply mean that they are unable to do so.
0: Thank you very much both. That, that's very interesting. It, it looks like we're expecting these measures to, to continue, um, as David said, in, into the start of next year. Linked into that, um, John, do you think more measures are likely and do we, do we need a mandatory code?
2: I think that I, I agree with David that I think possibly an extension of the measures may well be called for. So I can see the government potentially extending the measures in time, but not necessarily in scope. So I don't see uh, deeper or more stringent measures being brought in. But I could certainly see, as David has suggested, that the, the measures may well be extended. Um as far as the mandatory code where we've seen Australia go down that route i mean i i don't necessarily see that being called for i think the real estate market largely balances itself through market forces i mean in my time in practice we've seen a huge shift between the bargaining power between landlord and tenants much more in favor of tenants now and i think the pandemic will see that shift even further so I don't, as far as a personal view is concerned, I don't, I don't see a need for further state intervention.
1: And that's an interesting one. I think one thing I would say is um, the, I think the BRC feels that probably the mandatory code is probably not likely, but um, government, it does see that government support for for commercial rent um, may be necessary. In fact, I, the way it sees it is that we need to deal with the mountain of arrears that have built up during the lockdown and are quite frankly unlikely to be paid back. Um, as far as a retailer is concerned, turnover is lost permanently. It can't be borrowed back to repay a loan or, or to conjure up deferred rent. And, and if I may, I'd like to share some news. Um, UK Active, UK Hospitality, Revo, the BPF and also the BRC have made a joint call for the introduction of a property bounce back grant, Um, The grant's estimated to cost around £1.75 billion, um, yet it would save 375,000 jobs and it would generate savings to the government of almost £7 billion in the first year alone. Now, the way that this would work is that government will make grants of up to 50% of rent and service charges, which were demanded but were unpaid between March and September. Um, However, those grants would be conditional on an agreement between the landlord and the tenant to account for the remaining 50%, and they would do that by following the, the government's code of practice. And, and so um, eligibility for the grant would really be just for those businesses in sectors that have been disproportionately hit by the crisis and have already seen increasing rates of administrations and redundancies. And those businesses are businesses in, in, in hospitality, um, leisure and retail. So it wouldn't be for everybody. As John said, market forces will at some stage correct it. But certainly for those businesses that do need that extra level of help, um, then this, this property bounce back grant. Um, we think is the way forward
0: thank you david that's um that's that's really interesting perhaps um looking forward a little bit more, how do you see the future for retail and what do you think needs to change as as we come out of um, lockdown and and hopefully find a solution to the pandemic and by way of a vaccine?
1: Mm, that's a very good question it, it's no secret that parts of retail were struggling before COVID-19 and COVID-19 has effectively just pressed the pause button but those struggles will continue unless we see some root and branch reform. Um, Let's try to give you some, some examples. Business rates, it's a tax which isn't quite working as it should both in terms of quantum and process and that's hurting retailers. Now as a replacement there's been talk about an online tax but the BRC is not an advocate an online tax as it just hits retail disproportionately hard and as i said before online has been a lifeline um, we need to see downwards as well as upwards rent reviews in order to avoid large gaps in the high street and the adversarial nature of lease negotiations this master servant relationship it's no longer fit for the 21st century and i was pleased that you in a, in a previous podcast discussed that you've been seeing changes in behaviors and that was incredibly heartening and this is important because we as solicitors need to be agents of change. We need to make sure that when we see progressive heads of terms, we don't, through our negotiations, introduce fetters on the tenant and make their ability to trade from the premises and alter the premises harder in the name of creating an institutionally acceptable list in in inverted commas.
0: Thank you, David. Clearly the the landlord and tenant relationship is changing and and it, it, it seems like this is going to accelerate that process. John, another aspect of this is, is the planning system. How important do you think the government's promised overhaul of the planning system is likely to be?
2: I think, Graham, if, if the government uh, proceed with the uh, ideas outlined in the white paper that they've recently published, we will see some very far-reaching changes to the planning system. Um, The the idea behind these changes is really to speed up planning and to make effectively the to reduce the control that local authorities currently have over decisions and to effectively ensure more development takes place. So what they're doing is replacing a rules based um, zoning system is going to be put in place to replace council decision making and council controls. So the the idea is you will out you will outline on digital maps areas that will be designated for growth so their outline permissions will be automatically granted for large developments you will have areas designated for renewal where there'll be a statutory presumption that permission should be granted and there'll be areas designated as protected where full applications as we know them today will be required so we will see a smaller number of application documents We will see shorter fixed timescales for councils to decide uh, planning applications. Um, The idea there is that that will be within uh, eight or 13 weeks. Uh, And there's also a proposal to have an infrastructure levy replace the current SIL and Section 106s. And that will be a flat rate uh, levy charged at occupation of the development. So I think the idea is, you know, you you will see more development, you will see speedier planning decisions, and, you know, much to the dismay of local authorities, you will see some control and powers uh, taken away from from local planning uh, authorities.
0: Thank you. So hopefully, um, combined with a a better relationship between landlords and tenants, the planning reform will allow greater flexibility, which is, is something that as this current situation has proven is necessary. David, if I may, just turning to you with your uh, Ocado hat on, how has consumer behavior changed in the grocery sector? It's
1: changed in a few ways, Graham. Uh, firstly, bigger baskets. Uh, in the early days of lockdown, this really centered on ambient products. I mean, who can forget the rush to purchase toilet tissue? Uh, but soon that just became larger grocery orders. Now, you may think that this is because people are staying in more, and of course, that is part of it. But I've actually heard otherwise, and I heard some wonderful stories of people buying multiple units of an item where one was for them and one was for their neighbour. And that communal spirit between customers it is simply wonderful. Um, in other changes, we've seen more forward buying. Um, customers are now looking to, to get their deliveries booked earlier and further in advance and not always for the same day of the week. Now, given that it's something that, that you, John, um, and my team and I worked on, it would be entirely remiss of me not to mention that we're moving away from Waitrose and that from 1st of September, customers will be able to shop from around 5,000 MS products instead. Now, you and I have talked about this before. And I think the customers will be very, very impressed with the, uh, with the new Ocado offering. And I don't know if either of you saw this, but m and summed this up beautifully when they said, and I hope I get this right, I just don't have the right voice for it. Uh, it said, this is not just any partnership, this is m and food meets Ocado. I just thought that was beautifully put.
0: Thank you for that. That's, that's, that's all good to hear. Um, we've already talked about the difficulties, the well-known difficulties that the high streets is struggling and was struggling indeed before lockdown and just recently that that doesn't seem to be a week that goes by without further announcements, recent announcements, WH Smith, 2E, DW Sports and, and the restaurant chain Pizza Express. Where do you think the balance between stores and online shopping will, will finally settle post-Covid? Well let me
1: firstly say that that news is disheartening, I, but I genuinely believe that retail will always be the core purpose of high street. But in a post COVID 19 world, it's likely to be supplemented rather than supplanted by leisure, housing, public services, and other uses. From Cardo's perspective, we've seen five years of growth in just a few weeks, and we believe that once you've done your fifth shop, grocery shop, And that could be less now, actually. Um, You're a convert to online grocery shopping. So in terms of the balance, that will depend on how you use retail. But it's fairly certain that the new normal will see online shopping as a regular and mainstream part of your weekly shopping habits.
0: John. John. Taking that into account and the transition to online and and the fact that this, as David has said, as we all know, has become such an established part of consumer activity, can you identify some of the key legal and practical issues that need to be considered?
2: Yes, Graham. I I mean, I think what we're going to see is the existing retailers who have large uh, real estate portfolios, we're going to see... That generates some very interesting ideas going forward about what those uh, property owners do do with these properties, and I think John Lewis is an example of that. They've been in the press recently, and they have generated some some very interesting ideas about how they might explore their wider store estate if indeed the 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 plan is to reduce the size of of the retail element of that estate. So I think we're going to see. Um, The speed of innovation in retail and and the conversion of these properties to other uses um, really develop over the next sort of five years or so. I mean, in terms of legal issues, what, what I think we're going to see with retailers is we're going to have, you know, the new norm will be a retailer that inevitably has an online presence. And I think we'll also have some form of physical presence. And so you know, coming out of the pandemic, we've seen a lot of retailers and indeed landlords talk about the move towards turnover rents. And that will generate some interesting uh, legal issues in that, you know, how do you write that down? Because you have click and collect, you have stores that are sending out uh, their goods from from their stores rather than from a warehouse. And so in defining and, and accurately recording those turnover rents, that that will pose both practical and legal difficulties. Um, I think we're going to see more pop ups. We're going to see more uh, in America. We've seen Amazon opening stores where, you know, people use a mobile phone that records their entry and they walk out with their goods and there's no interaction with with a with a till, as we would normally recognize it or indeed with any staff. And so the there's gonna be huge uh innovation on the high street and I think as lawyers we are we're gonna to have to try and keep up with that in terms of how that is documented in terms of that occupation and the charge the charges for the occupation of that real estate going forward.
0: Thank you, John. I, I think we can pick up a, a theme there that that's flexibility, um, not just in the retail sector and particularly linked into what we were talking about by the reform of the planning and the relationship between landlord and tenants, then clearly how people use space needs to be um, dealt with on a more flexible basis. Turning back, John, if I may, to the logistics sector, generally that is a sector that, that is perceived to have held up well while others have struggled across the board. Are we seeing significant interest in investors
2: Yes, we are. I mean, I, I, I obviously, I you know, David and I work together uh, as Akado are expanding their their uh, estate of customer fulfillment centers. I work with with their data center clients, and and you know, there is one key theme that we're seeing that the demand for space is very hot at the moment, uh, and you can't just put these uh, facilities anywhere. There are, as David can probably comment better than me, but there are geographical factors in terms of where you want to be, which is obviously the, the biggest decision. But then there's a whole host of micro factors in, that, you know, is there, is there sufficient power near, nearby? Where is the substation? How is the road network interact with where you want to be? What is the position on utilities? What is the connectivity? And so getting, getting your, your estate, your logistics estate, in the place where you want it, and with the necessary facilities is very difficult. And it's driving it's driving prices in that sector. And there's a lot of demand, a lot of bidders out there, all competing for the same space. Um, I mean, one of the fascinating things I find, and Ocado are a, an excellent example of this, is that when you actually look at the warehouse itself, it sort of turns the landlord-tenant relationship on its head slightly, because the landlord is really you know, effectively often developing the skin of the property, the outer shell and a roof. And that's not where the value is, you know, as David will no doubt tell you, the a typical Ocado warehouse, the value is in the kit that's inside, you know, the value of that kit inside the warehouse dwarfs the value of the warehouse itself. And so, you know, that's the fascinating thing about the logistics centre going forward. They really are, you know, houses of huge technology. Well, thank you very much.
0: We're, we're drawing to the end of this podcast. So can I ask you both, do you have one key takeaway?
1: Uh, yeah, if I, if I can step in first. So firstly, thank you both again very, very much indeed. My key takeaway will be as follows. In order to give the retail sector the best opportunity to trade its way out of the very difficult conditions in which it finds itself, landlords and tenants will need to start to cooperate far more than they have historically and John was already talking about that in how we deal with our landlords. Um, The government wants us to consider the national interest and that means reaching agreements on rent and agreeing leases which don't act as a fetter on a tenant's ability to be agile and trade in as frictionless way as possible. Um, If we fail to do this, the government and this government in particular will not be shy to legislate as it's made no secret of how far it will go to get us out of this pandemic and through Brexit. Now, you may think this is a fairly bold statement, but please bear in mind that government already has a track record of intervening when it believes that the market is not acting in national interest. Just look at the powers that it's given to the telecommunications operators.
2: I mean, I I, I think that's a good point, David. I mean, Graham, my, my takeaway, I think, is, is twofold, which is you know, as far as far as I have seen in my career, and I think even more so as we come out of the pandemic, the real estate industry reacts to consumer behaviour. And so it will be consumer behaviour that ultimately determines what happens to our high streets and what happens to our local communities as this division between online retail and physical retail, you know, takes hold. Um, I mean, my, my other sort of connected point on that is I think that it really is in the interests of local authorities to take perhaps more ownership of of their local high streets, of their local communities, so that they can curate in the way that you've seen the landed estates like Portman, what they've done around Marlebone, you know, how they're able to take a much more longer term view and not solely be, be driven by the profit motive. I think, you know, it, it, we, we're reaching a point where local authorities potentially need to step in to sort of rescue the, the, the inner parts of their local communities to, to ensure that some form of retail offering um, survives in a physical form. And that helps embed the communities and, and ensure that you know we, we have places to live where, where all consumers are served.
0: Well, thank you both. And, and particular thanks to David for joining us and many thanks to all of you for listening. If you have any questions, then please get in touch with your usual Slaughter and May contact.
1: For more information on this topic or to hear our other podcasts, please visit www.slaughterandmay.com. You can also subscribe to the Slaughter and
2: May podcast on iTunes or Google Play.